0: Now, I wasn't going to ask you this, but I mean, I suppose I've got to really. It did take a long time to do the new Hysteria album, didn't it? As everybody knows, <laughs> you know, Hell of a long time. I'm not going to ask you why, because I think the whole world knows why, but I mean, tell me, it must be a relief now that it's all over. Oh, uh, yeah, it is. Um, I mean, all the hard work we put into that and, and trials and tribulations and everything that went off, you forgot about it the minute we would, got the phone call at 8 o'clock in the morning saying, your album's gone straight into number one in, in the British charts. It was like, wow we have done cartwheels down the whole <laughs> <corner>. time. <laughs> 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 Michael <laughs> Jackson, <laughs> eat your heart out. Huh? Oh, yeah.
1: are dead. Hi-o. What's up, gang? I don't even know what to say.
2: I don't even know how to start. This is all new, uh, new territory for the uh, for your pals here.
1: Uh, you, albums are dead. Yeah, we are. Uh, we are no strangers to the world of podcasting, no. having hosted the wildly successful Mezzanine Sleepover for three years, yes. available on iTunes. But this is a new podcast that we are trying out, and it's called. Albums are Dead, and uh, we are your pals taking you through album journeys week by week. And uh, I am on Twitter, slip with five eyes or slip.
2: I am at megamix.com, all one word on Twitter. And yes, welcome to the inaugural episode of Albums Are Dead. Uh, like you said, where we take a, a journey through fantastic albums, classic albums, not so classic albums, and everything in between, folks. Uh I am uh, going to start off uh our new podcast with a tasteless joke. Okay, good.
1: I doubt all of them were doing cartwheels down the hotel.
2: No, i not especially. <laughs> so uh anyways, well, th- our good friend the Cajun man once said he wished that Def Leopard was called Nonopus cuz it's all nine arms. <laughs> well then, we're off to a good start. Uh <laughs> All right. uh, Uh, Yes. uh, So some of these, some of you may know us from the Resident Sleepover, the Mothership Podcast, um, and uh, where we are uh, irreverent and crazy. Uh, We're going to be dialing it back a little bit. We're going to be doing a lot of good breakdowns of albums. I think it's going to be a good ride. What do you think? Uh, I guess we should talk about
1: what the show is all about, right? Um, It is kind of your uh, your concept, so. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell us about what, what we're going to be doing, this this journey we're going to embark on for, I'd say, at least, you know, a half dozen episodes?
2: I would think so. I think we'll give it six for sure. Um, yeah, this was uh, came out of the thought where we talk a lot about music on the Mezzanine Sleepover. You can find us at mezzaninesleepover.com. And uh, we, we talk a lot about music, playing tracks, talking about things, shooting the shit. But uh, I thought, you know, we, we kind of needed a, an outlet here to, to examine the art form known as the album. Uh, and uh, we're, we're going to try and do that to the best of our abilities by t- picking an album each week um, and uh, giving you the big, the big breakdown, taking you through the making of the album, we'll go through the tracks, uh, we'll talk about uh, anything and everything that has to do with that album, and uh, really give it a, a, good, a good reviewing. And so uh, albums, of course, are dead uh, in the digital age, where uh, buying a song is much easier than purchasing an album. And uh, we thought, you know, let's pay homage to, uh, to the art form.
1: Uh, so I think the only disclaimer I want to put out there right away, and like this week, as you can tell from the introduction, we're going to be talking about Hysteria by Def yep. Leppard, an amazing choice to start things off, and, and very worthy, I would say. Yes, agreed. Um, but, uh, this is, you know, like, let's, let's, let's kind of set the record straight here. You and I are not experts by any means, not professional experts on music. Uh, no. neither of us work in the music industry. Wow. well... Uh,
2: I mean, you, you, you do host a radio show.
1: Well, I do, I guess, but that's not professional.
2: Um, and you do, and you are a host of the Mezzanine Sleepover when we talk I, about music.
1: Uh, but we are, you know, what you would classify as, you know, big music fans, like very big yes. music fans. Uh, and also fans of kind of looking up information on, you know, the background of, of songs and albums, etc. So this show is basically just, uh, you know, we choose an album. And we spend a week or two gathering information. Sometimes we know the story already. Sometimes yeah. we find stuff. And yeah. we present to you kind of a collection of our, of our homework. It's kind of like a, a show and tell. At the end of the week, it's like, here's my album. And here's yes. what I know. So if, if you come to this show, for example, and you're a massive Def Leopard fan, like they're your yes. favorite band in the world, mm-hmm. we're probably not going to tell you something you don't already know.
2: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, if anything, you'll just get maybe a little bit of our feelings on certain things. But other than that, uh, this wouldn't be the deepest of dives for, for, for the discerning fan.
1: Yeah, this is more so for a generalist or people who aren't, you know, huge into the band or, you know, like them as a casual fan but but want to yeah. hear some additional information about a good album. And that's what we provide if we miss pieces of information uh we have an outlet for you to hit us up uh and
2: troll us yes uh, what word can they go they can go to albums are dead uh, on twitter that's our handle albums are dead all one word uh you can also uh, connect up with us uh if you can't remember that at albums are and uh, we'll have all our all our information there get to our twitter email uh facebook whatever and uh, you can connect with us and uh chew us out give us a compliment Give us an idea for an album you'd like to hear uh, talked about on the show. Uh, we're always open to hearing anything and everything.
1: Uh, so, I guess with that being said, and that's kind of our, our intro, do we want to get right into this and see how we do it here?
2: I agree. I would, I would like, uh, I think that would be a great idea. I think uh, our listeners uh, will just, uh, if they bear with us, we're going to iron out the kinks as we go along. But uh, I think it's going to be a good show this time.
1: Uh, well, do a quick intro on uh, Hysteria and, and just full disclosure, while you're doing it, I'm going to put the headphones down for a sec and grab my vinyl copy from my uh, my collection. But talk Excellent. about Hysteria.
2: I mean, the tale of the tape, Death Leopard, uh, Hysteria, released on August 3rd, 1987 on the Phonogram label in Europe and on Mercury in the US and Japan. To date, Hysteria has sold 25 million copies worldwide, including 12 million copies in the US alone. Um, the album charted at number one on both Billboard 200 and the UK Albums chart. Of course, it charted on Billboard at number one uh, almost, uh, I believe, a year and a half after it was released. Um, there are multiple 30th anniversary editions that were released in 2017. For this episode, we will be sticking to the 1987 release only. So, um, yeah, that's that's the quick tale of the tape. Do you have anything to add? I'm back and I'm, I'm holding up, uh, I'm holding
1: in my hand. A copy, a beautiful copy of this. Where was this press? Was this a Canadian pressing? Uh, No, it's this is one from the U.S. of A. But from 1987, uh, one of the 25 million copies of Hysteria that's out there, and uh, a beautiful album, uh, amazing album cover. Uh, You've got the Def Leppard in there in their classic Def Leppard font, Mm -hmm. Um, and you've got what appears to be. A couple of, like, faces kind of screaming out in horror, surrounded by, like, funky 80s uh, graphics. Yeah, it's
2: like cyber art. Yeah. With a triangle with screaming faces, yes. An iconic cover. It hysteria. is. Uh, the on back the- cover, of course, has the same kind of cyber electronic background with faces of the band. Yes. So you get to know them. <laughs> All
1: with, like, amazing feathered hair at the time. So that is fantastic. It's, so, it, it's just so good.
2: Um, just a little, I guess... To kick us off, I'm thinking personal experiences with the, with that album. I, I'll start. Yeah. I mean, I heard this album probably for the first time in about late '88, early '1989. Um, so I was a late late to the party. I was in grade six, so I can't I can't be um, I can't I, I can be forgiven for coming coming late into the into the Def Leppard world. Um, heard a lot of it on a on a on a, on a uh, school grade six trip to Camp Red Rock here in Manitoba. Uh, where someone managed to smuggle in a boom box <laughs> and played a lot of Def Leppard, where I, where I got into it. I ended up buying the cassette, and I believe I bought it at Eden's. Oh, uh, nice. In St. Center. And uh, proceeded to listen to the side one many, many times.
1: Uh, um,
2: over the years, I have grown to appreciate the whole thing as a, a piece uh, of, of art, but uh, I, I am an unabashed hysteria fan. Love it. Uh, cover to cover now. And um, one of my favorite albums of all time, top ten for sure.
1: My uh, Def Leppard fandom began in 1991, 92 in that area. Uh, 92. Uh, so you wanted during... to get rocked. I did. Uh, so what happened was my aunt uh, did some production work for the BBC. And uh, they did a kind of a piece on Rick Allen, the drummer from uh, Def Leppard, one-armed drummer, who you'll talk about, I'm sure. Uh, Yeah, we
2: tastelessly joked about earlier at the start of the (laughs) show.
1: And I I was getting into drumming at the time. And so she met him and he signed a backstage tour pass and uh, I got an Adrenalize t-shirt. Uh, which i wore to school and was made fun of and promptly never wore it again
2: that's just so sad because you wear an adrenalized shirt now and it's fucking badass
1: yeah uh so that's where i was kind of started my def leppard fandom and then of course uh worked my way backwards and uh hysteria was the obvious choice as the my favorite def leppard album um I owned it on vinyl one time uh, back in the late 90s uh, and then that collection disappeared and I picked up another copy of it about uh, seven years ago uh, and obviously had like digital copies uh, and yeah. uh, I probably a uh, used CD somewhere. I did not purchase it from Eaton's or any other uh, now defunct Canadian retail.
2: No, I ended up buying the CD a few years ago because of course for a while then, um, death lovers back catalog not available on iTunes mm-hmm. or any or any digital service uh, that was rectified recently um, so I did have I did buy a, a CD copy I mean you know you listen to the production of this of, of and it's not just this album but this is all pretty kind of loudness war so these albums are beautiful to listen to from a from a, 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 a an audio standpoint because they they're a little quieter so you can you can crank it a little more and hear all the different kind of levels and all the different uh production qualities that you don't get from the albums that are that are uh you know just noise gated right right uh, right to the top of the uh of the spectrum and you get you know when you open up a file in like uh audacity or 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 audition and you get those albums now where you get the track and it's just it's full on top to bottom uh right up to the top where it's almost like a square there's no peaks and valleys you pull out something like hysteria you get a nice kind of balanced sound. Lot of peaks, lot of valleys. You can crank that right up, and really get the full experience. So I do. Uh, when I, when I got that on CD and and, and pulled it in uh, digitally into my library, it was it was you know, um, you know, it sound checked it, got it nice up, got the levels all there, but it really is a nice listening experience. Uh, so what do you what do you where do you want to
1: go with this? What do you want to tell? Uh, what's the next piece? Well, of let's information? start.
2: I mean. Let's tell the tale. I think we'll tell the tale of the of the making of the album. All right, we'll we'll, we'll take a look at the tracks and then we'll uh, we're, we'll maybe talk about some of their uh, the tour elements in in, in touring uh, to support this album. Uh, the background. I mean, the band uh, Def Leppard began recording this as a follow up to 1983's uh, mega hit Pyromania. They started recording it in about February 1984. They tagged uh, legendary producer Mutt Lang to produce, but uh, he did drop out during pre production. Um. They brought on, they brought in Meatloaf songwriter Jim Steinman to produce. Uh, but, of course, it, what ended up happening is his vision clashed with that of the band. And so then they decided to, to uh, produce it themselves, and they ended up scrapping the sessions. So, you know, they're almost a year into this. In uh, December uh, 1984, they've already scrapped their first sessions. They've lost their first producer, hired a songwriter to be their second producer. Um, of course, Meatloaf songwriter Jim Steinman didn't produce Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf. That was who the hell was that? I can't even remember. Um, and so he, so that didn't work out. So then uh, they were, you know, a bit of a holding pattern there. Then on New Year's Eve 1984, drummer Rick Allen, as we mentioned, lost his left arm when his Corvette flipped off of a country road. So that kind of stopped everything uh, right in its tracks. Now I have a from a 2007 article in Mojo Magazine, there's a little write up on. Rick Allen's uh, accident. I'm just going to read through it here. By the way, before you read no. it,
1: uh, it is yeah. Todd Rudgren who produced... That's right, Todd
2: Rudgren. Thank All you. Right. All right, so from a 2007 Mojo magazine article uh, Rick, uh, about Rick Allen's accident. So speeding along a country lane just off the A57 near Sheffield, Rick Allen was taking his Dutch girlfriend, Miriam, for a spin in his new Corvette Stingray. On this Cle- Clement New Year's Eve afternoon in 1994, he was in a mood to celebrate because eight weeks earlier he turned 21 and as the drummer in Def Leppard, 21. Jesus! He was also a member of the most successful British hard rock act to hit America since Led Zeppelin, thanks to the six million album sales racked up by their most recent album, Pyromania. And now he was home for Christmas. So as he hit the bend, Alan lost control of the car, the vehicle smashing through a dry stone wall and rolling over several times. When the car came to a shuddering halt, uh, Miriam was trapped in the passenger seat but uninjured, Alan, whose seatbelt had not been properly secured, was thrown from the car, and his left arm, severed at the shoulder, remained in the vehicle. Uh, When the ambulance crew reached him, him, the first words from a medic were, you're still alive. They couldn't believe it. The uh, article continues, and I'll uh, I'll read a couple more passages here. Um, The first person to arrive at the accident scene, who had been a midwife who lived nearby, she packed the arm in ice, and said she had ready for her New Year's Eve party. Um, his family rushed to the hospital, called the band's manager, who relayed the news to the to the band. Uh, singer Joe Elliott was uh, at home in uh, Surrey, and uh, when he when he when uh, the manager called, he uh, he said, "I'm just bawling my eyes out." Uh, and uh, guitarist Steve Clark and Phil Collin uh, caught the first available flight from Paris, where they had shared an apartment. And uh, bassist Rick Sav- Savage was <laughs> in Sheffield and was first to the hospital. So they go through some of this. Um, on January fourth, so this is uh, about five days later, the surgeons had to remove the left arm because uh, they had tried to reattach it um, on the, on the first. They had to remove it. The wound had become infected with gangrene, and that was that was it. Rick had come close to dying, and uh, it was feared that he's uh, after the accident. They thought he might lose both arms, uh, but while well, the doctors were optimistic, the band was not. So in the end, what ends up happening is. Uh, the band is, is looking at, uh, they, they don't really know what to do, so um, the plan is uh, kind of loose, uh, but Rick Allen is insistent that he's going to uh, continue on, and so they get a, uh, a, a drum kit built for him, uh, and I believe that, uh, I'm just looking at my notes here, the custom, he had a custom drum kit made for him with a set of electronic pedals that triggered via MIDI the sounds he would have played with his left arm. And uh he kinda I guess he, he kinda practiced in uh over the next uh he got discharged in the hospital after six weeks and he got his new kit. And uh after uh for three weeks he practiced alone and then uh, one day they all just came in and he played uh Led Zeppelins When the Levee Breaks and everybody was crying and they were all excited and the band kept going. So that's kind of the main big story that kind of plays through hysteria's kind of st- the stop, then the restart, and kind of frames the whole making of this album. And Def Leppard,
1: um, before and after this, uh, kind of uh, mired with lineup changes and tragedy, right?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: their their guitarist uh, Steve Clark, uh, after Hysteria, yes, uh, died basically of like drugs and alcohol, right? Yes, uh, they had. There was a member of their band after Pyromania or during Pyromania. Their original uh, guitarist Pete Willis uh, was kicked out of the band. So, yes. all sorts of like problems plaguing this band over the course of their most successful period.
2: Yeah, and and you know when Rick Allen was in the hospital, they just all they got phone calls constantly from drummers <laughs> being like, "I'll play." Well,
1: yeah, but they but
2: they stuck it out. They're like, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna see how this goes, and in the end, uh, it really uh you know really shaped their sound on hysteria for sure and that kind of shaped the sound going forward and you know uh, ended up being quite a quite a um an interesting dynamic to have so um you know they got back into it they got Mutt Lang uh would return to produce after suffering his own injury in a car accident he suffered a leg injury um and what happened was uh, they they while they were recording they took a break to play the Monsters of Rock festival in Derbyshire UK on August 16th 1986 And it was Alan's first big gig following his accident. And we got a little uh, audio
1: clip here. Oh, damn.
2: It's clip one? Yeah.
1: Let's do it.
3: The volume nearly blew you off stage. It was frightening, the reaction that the guy got.
0: You're talking 70,000 people. It was extremely emotional.
3: Tears everywhere out there. And I've never seen anything like that. And I've never felt anything like that before. It's like I'd arrived, you know. It was brilliant. There is a,
2: a video of that on uh, YouTube. It's worth checking out. Uh, fantastic show. Big reception for Rick Allen returning behind the kit uh, in front of a giant audience. And uh, Rick Allen says in, a, in a, uh, an oral history of hysteria published in Rolling Stone in 2017, Rick Allen said about this show, he said, I remember Joe introducing me and I was just sitting back there in tears. I couldn't really contain myself because it was confirmation in a sense that everybody, has accepted, everybody had accepted me I wasn't this freak show going out on stage. I was me, and I knew how to play, and I knew how to do it well. So it's really one of those like feel-good stories. Uh, he's a good drummer. I don't know what to say. Like,
1: I don't know how he does it. Like, I can barely do it with two hands. (laughs) That's right. But uh, you're hey,
2: listen, you're you're a great drummer. Come
1: on. Oh hey, thanks.
2: (laughs) All right. Uh, Almost three years after they began, the band had their final recording session in January 1987. The band had high expectations for Hysteria, um, but the time it had taken to record and the money spent had created a buzz that wasn't exactly positive. Um, well, I have a clip here from an interview with, by uh, uh, interviewer Roger Scott with singer Joe Elliott and Rick Allen from July in
3: 1987. Were you aware all this time you were spending in the studio and, and redoing and redoing and redoing that this was becoming a legend in the outside world? This album before anybody had heard it? Were you aware of any of this? Because it has been. It's been talked to that for a long time. With the release date's been put back, put back, put back. Did you know about all this? It wasn't... We weren't aware of it being a legend. We were aware of it being a laughing stock, which we shall ram down people's throats over the next 18 months. I mean, it'll be us laughing at them, you know, if the thing does anything between four and eight million, which we probably think it can do, you know. I think a lot of people are very very naive in the way that they they kinda wrote us off they'll never do it you know one arm drummer how do you follow six million we can and we have and we will um it, it's it's silly that people think that you know we couldn't ever do it again and that we, if we spent a long time making a record we'd disappear up our own you know what but it's not true we come out with a good album We we wanted to make a killer album and whether it had been legendary or or just like the laughingstock over the last three or four years, we weren't particularly interested in either because we were too busy trying to create a masterpiece. That's what we wanted to do. So, you know, anybody that stuck with us and said, I know they can do it, then, you know, I'd take my hat off to them. Anybody that would stick through that because I know a lot of people were taking the mickey. Um, but, I mean, that's that's just their their own stupidity more than anything else. The thing is, we made a good record, and they didn't.
1: So uh, it's like, it's like Chinese democracy, basically.
2: Essentially, except, you know, like it sold uh, 25 million copies. So like, Uh, I find it funny. So, so this interview is from July, 1987, right before the album comes out and they're like, you know, 48 million. That's the goal. Oh. And uh, yeah, um, it's funny because, okay. So the first, uh, the album comes out on August 3rd, 1987, the band had the expectations Clearly, about you know four to eight million, um, according to guitarist Phil Collin, the album had to sell a minimum of five million just to break even,
1: which is crazy. Now keep keep in mind when when you talk about these numbers. So yeah, Pyromania is released in uh, January of 1983. Yeah, and four years for a band that is. Still in existence and playing shows. I mean, granted, again, there was a huge accident that happened during this time. Four yep. years is a long time between albums. Like, <laughs> like for a band that has peaked out, and Pyromania is a huge album. Like yes, it it sells what like about twenty million. It was multiple times platinum. Uh, yep. uh, and so this is a this is a massive album. So to be coming back and saying what four to eight million for the follow up. I mean you you look at that now and it's like it's kind of preposterous that that they that they that they think it would be such a almost like a low seller.
2: Yeah, yeah, they're, I mean they they're obviously being um uh quite, you know, trying to try to downplay it, right? Cuz what can you do? But I mean they were they were saying like this is going to be uh this is a great album. It's fantastic and uh they they weren't wrong. Uh so you know, the thing was is that with hysteria, and, and we're gonna we're gonna dive into this now. Um, it, it didn't it didn't get to the it didn't climb to the heights that it did right away. Um, first of all, the band chooses women as the first single in the U.S. and Canada, and I, we're gonna focus mainly on U.S. and Canada. Yeah, mainly U.S. in this. Uh, There's there's uh, the singles were released in different orders in the in the U.K. The album was a hit in the U.K. at that first. Um, I'm going to stick to kind of uh, our, our side of, of the ocean here, yeah. where it was a bit more reality uh, here. Um, they chose women as the first single in USA Canada. It peaked at number 7 on the rock chart, but it only hit number 80 on the Hot 100, which wasn't a good start for a band with the sights set on, you know, recording one of the biggest rock albums. And, and you know, they again, we listened to the clip, and they're, they're kind of being a little modest about their predictions, but, you know, um, from other, uh, and I don't have a source here on this, but you know, uh, in general, the people, you know, know that there was much higher expectations for this album. Um, from the same Rolling Stone oral history that I read previously, PolyGram Senior VP of Marketing uh, Jim Yuri says that the first single didn't do well, and we were very concerned. The promotion guys were getting a huge amount of heat. It only got up the charts as far as it did because it was a maximum effort by the whole company, the promotion staff, and everyone involved to try and get it up there. It was a quasi stiff. Which was a surprise because it was a good song; it sounded good to us. So he's talking about women as the first single. Um, "Animal," which you heard at the top of the uh, at the top of the podcast, my personal favorite track by Def Leppard of all time, uh, was for was released as the lead single in the UK. It's the second single in North America. Does a bit better. It's number nineteen on the Hot One Hundred. And uh, like I said uh, before, the album's a big hit in Europe, but the band uh, is 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 still waiting for it to break big in the u.s and this comes uh not the third single but the fourth single which of course is pour some sugar on me uh releases a single on april 16th 1988 it's a monster hit vaulted hysteria in the number one slot on the billboard uh, 200 albums chart by july 23rd 1988 and they were off and running um as we said earlier they ended up selling to date 25 million copies uh and 12 of the 12 million of those in the u.s i mean just monster numbers
1: uh, i don't know if i'm uh, gonna step on your toes here but i'm looking at the Wickeye. <laughs> go one ahead
2: of our, one of our favorite sources
1: the Wickeye, yes uh, checking the Wickeye, making its first appearance on, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> on albums are dead uh, you,
2: did, you did beat me by about three or four minutes
1: uh but uh they they say that the goal of the album was to have every track be a killer on this album, yeah. right? Like they wanted every song to be a hit single, uh, and uh, in the end, you you read through four of the singles. Uh, there yeah. were seven. There were released off of this album, which had a total of uh, twelve tracks. So, well over half the tracks ended up coming out as singles.
2: Yeah, and you know we'll go through track by track. I would say, you know, for me, um, there there's there's maybe one kind of dud song on this whole album.
1: Oh, which one? So we'll, it's, it's, we'll, we'll wait and see what which one that is. We'll see what you say. We'll get
2: there. We'll get there. teaser. Hashtag so, teaser. So that's the that's the background on uh, on hysteria. I mean, there's obviously some things missed, but that gives you the um, that gives you kind of a good cross section of what was going on, the making of it, and uh, and obviously some of the some of the struggles with the promotion. But again, all it took was that one hit song, and and that's what it really is with the music business, right? You just need that one hit song, and uh, and that that just catapulted it. So uh, the tracks on this album.
1: Yes. Do you want? I have the tracks. Do you want me to like as we talk? What do you want me to do here? We're well, making this you know, up we as never we go. Really,
2: we never really talked about this, but I guess we could play. A, what are as our, as anybody who's listened to us to talk previously? We like to play the opening to a song and then talk over the the vocals. Um, I you know I'm I'm open for whatever.
1: Uh, also, you know our disclaimer. Uh, you know we're only going to play little clips, so. This is just for sampling purposes only. Go out and buy a copy of Hysteria.
2: Yes, go buy a co- Listen to these uh, snippets that we provide for you. And then, uh, yes, go out and uh, support Def Leppard. Because <laughs> Lord knows they need the support.
1: Of course. I mean, they needed to sell 5 million copies to break even.
2: <laughs> just to break even. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, folks. you
1: got uh,
2: to get your wallets out.
1: Uh, so do you want to, are you gonna talk about every track or what do you want to do here well,
2: I thought I thought we could discuss every track and give a give a I mean I got I got notes on uh, on on some of the stuff from some of the tracks and we can just uh, I figure if we're gonna do if we're gonna review this thing let's talk about it track by track
1: all right well here is the uh, I guess the lead single in the United States and uh, the opening track women women Mm-mm. I think this is a great track, but You know, the first single, single—I probably a misstep
2: Yeah, I wrote that too It's a first single, it's pretty weak But a very solid album opener Oh, absolutely in uh, the first single uh, It was released as a single on August 11th, 1987 uh, The B-side, Tear It Down uh, As I said before, this hit number 80 on the Hot 100 on Billboard From the Wickeye Here we go <laughs> The music video for "Women" focuses on a boy who reads a comic book outside of an abandoned warehouse while the band performs inside. The comic book titled Def Leopard and the Women of Doom" features a skateboarding protagonist named, get this, Deaf Leopard, <laughs> who travels to a distant planet and battles evil aliens to liberate female robots. And you know what? Uh huh. That might that might that's either the worst or the best video ever made.
1: Yeah. A very, very, I mean, everything here. Like, obviously, every song by Def Leppard is so Def Leppard, but. Yes. (laughs) Just unmistakable. As soon as you hear it, you're like, that's them. Absolutely. I mean, again, I've said before on our other podcast, The Mezzanine Sleepover, 12 years later, way past their prime, they release uh, that album with Promises on it. Yes. And like, Promises sounds like it could be on Hysteria.
2: Yeah, and that's why it's so great. And I, to this date, have never listened to another track on that album.
1: Neither have I, and
2: I own it. I think I have. I think we we featured one junkie song on our on our other podcast. So um, that's women, folks. <laughs> so you must be playing. This. Yeah. Where are you playing this offering?
1: Uh, off of my iTunes.
2: So this is a different version of Rocket than is off the album version. (laughs) This is Rocket. Um, Growing up, this was my favorite track. Um, Not anymore, but it was back then. I was enthralled by this. Uh, Rocket, it's got the massive drums and the spooky back-mask chorus from Gods of War, which we'll talk about later. Um, This this was the seventh and final single in the U.S., released in January 1989. Um, B-Side is a live version of Women, uh, this hit number 12 on the Billboard Hot 100, so uh, it's the last single. It's, uh, you know, kind of winding down for them. Yep. The Wiki says Guitar World magazine voted Rocket's guitar solo, the 17th worst of all time. <laughs> in the Countdown, published in December 2004, the magazine commented that Rocket has a solo that any four-year-old with a rock-mounted effects unit could play. So a <laughs> little snippet of information for you from Wikipedia. Oh, here. What are your thoughts on Rocket? <laughs>
1: Uh, what do I think about Rocket? Uh, not my favorite single uh, no. from this album. Pretty far down the list, I'd actually say. Yeah. Uh, but certainly my um, my appreciation for it over time certainly has increased. Uh, yeah. I have never seen the music video.
2: No. Uh. A pop culture pastiche.
1: Yeah. Um, but anyways, apparently <laughs> from the Wiki. Yes. Uh, there are various lengths of Rocket, depending on which version you're listening to. I do not know which one we're listening to here. Yes. But there is the 6 minute and 34 second album version, the 8 minute yep. and 41 second extended Lunar Mix. Ooh, yes. The 7 minute and 6 second Lunar Mix forward slash remix. Oh, okay. And then there are 4 minute It Edits for radio and music videos. Yes. Music videos.
2: All right, Music, yeah. um, uh, You know, I was looking, trying to look up song meanings. I mean, if it's Def Leppard, it's most likely about girls <laughs> or rocking. Um, this one is, of course, Rocket is about rocking out, um, <laughs> I think. Uh, lots of references to songs that influence the band, like references to the Beatles, where they mention Sgt. Pepper and the band. Reference to Elton John, Benny and the Jets, David Bowie, Gene Genie, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's about rocking out. What
1: uh, what uh, what are you using for your song, like information? By the way, do you have
2: um, the Wiki and other things?
1: Uh, do you, have you ever used song facts?
2: Uh yes, I have. Uh, yes, that's that's the other one I've been using.
1: All right, beautiful. That's where I'm at. Just so you know, when I, when I add excellent. things, in. so
2: we'll be in sync then. Yes, I definitely did use that for some of the meanings. But again, like I said, they they don't vary. Here we go. Animal. <laughs> the real. My Also
1: my favorite album, uh, our album, a track off of this album.
2: Uh, just an absolute beast, right? I mean, it's called Animal. <laughs> Animal, the second U.S. single, September 1987. The B-side, the uh, highly underrated I Want to Be Your Hero, which is a great track. Would have fit real nice on Hysteria. Um, Billboard Hot 100, and 19... You know, climbing up a little bit for them, a little bit more of a success. Again, not the strongest single. Uh, from the Wickeye, Animal is usually noted by the band as having been the most difficult track to record. Although it was one of the first songs developed in early 1984, neither the band nor the producers who came and went were able to produce the desired sound until two and a half painstaking years later. Ugh. Oh. I can't imagine recording a song this long.
1: Maybe it's this part right here. Here we go.
2: <laughs> yes! Clap!
1: Yeah, that's probably it. I get it. I mean, you
2: can't, listen, you can't talk hysteria without talking about the uh, the uh, the harmonized choruses. Oh, I know, right? I mean, these guys were the fucking masters. Fantastic. Uh, the meaning of this song, of course, uh, it's a song about raging animal lust.
1: <laughs> well there uh, they're such a lusty band
2: uh, so yeah. women rocking out and lust
1: so far and then uh, and then we get a little uh, we get a little serious and sinister
2: oh yes
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you can't go wrong with a robot voice <laughs> there's love bite love bite. <laughs> so we got love bites the quintessential power ballad. Um, I love the creepy cyber voice, uh, but this was always good for a little uh, extended arms dancing.
1: Uh, this would be, I mean, I'm, I think you're about to say it, the first track to reach number one, right? In the U.S.? It was.
2: This, this was the fifth U.S. single, August 1988. B-side, a live version of Billy's Got a Gun, hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Indeed! Um, this one followed, of course, Portions of girl on Me, which we'll get to. Uh, Mutt Lang brought the song to the band as a country ballad. A band that added power <laughs> rock elements and emotive backing vocals. When you Similarly. make love,
1: de-doo, de-doo, <laughs> do you look in the mirror? De-doo, de-doo, de-doo. That's my uh, country, they, everyone.
2: Yes, uh, this is a song about how love can hurt in many different
1: ways. Uh, I'm reading from Song Facts. A popular rumor about the song concerns the final seconds after the line If you got love in your sights, watch out, love bites. Uh, What is seemingly heard is, Jesus of Nazareth go to hell. This rumor has been refuted by the band, most notably on a hysteria documentary. The line is, in fact, producer Mutt Lang rambling in a Yorkshire accent uh, to the effect of, Yes, it does, bloody hell, with the aid of a vocoder.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's fucking, it's Def Leppard, for God's (laughs) sakes. Like, there's, there's, like, okay, there's nothing really sinister about Def Leppard.
1: I do love though, uh, I, and I've said this before on the mezzanine sleepover, uh, how it's all like he's kind of like shaming at the start, all like talking oh, yeah. down to someone. Like when you make love, do you look in the mirror? Yeah. Do you think? Who do you think of? Does he look like me? Like such a creepy thing to say to someone.
2: It really is the song, and you know what? The funny thing is, I remember doing the old classroom dances, and uh, when, I, when I I referenced extended arms dance it's the one where you don't where you dance where there's like enough room to fit another person between you and the other person yeah and uh you know it's all a bunch of grade sixers all dancing when you make love (laughs) when you make love (laughs) oh
1: it's beautiful oh look Uh, there we go I finally have the proper version
2: good hey hey (laughs) so this is the album version pour some sugar on me Uh, who doesn't know this track I mean come on
1: Let's hear it. All right, here we go.
2: So, I, I mean, this has got to hold the record for, if there was one, for, uh, you know, most mangled song by people trying to sing along to it. <laughs> Because you know, trying to figure out these lyrics without without it without a cheat sheet is tough. Yep. Um, this was the this was the mega hit that put this over the top in the U.S. Hit number two on the Billboard Hot 100. Fourth U.S. single released on April 16th, 1988. Uh, the B-side was "Ring of Fire," uh, not that "Ring of Fire." Uh-huh. From the Wicked. The song reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100, but was denied the top spot by. Do you have a guess?
1: I well, I'm reading it right now, so you. Ah.
2: Hold on to the Nights. Yes. By Richard Marks. Um, and the meaning of this song, well, it's sex. <laughs> Joe Elliott says, pour some sugar on me is the metaphor for whatever sexual preference you enjoy.
3: It's so
2: hey. kind of a positive, kind of a, a, a sex positive message. <laughs> even for the even for the 21st century.
1: <laughs> An original one, yes.
2: Here you go. Oh! <laughs>
1: I like that Def Leppard had, like, such interesting terminology in their songs, like Pyromania, Armageddon, yeah. Hysteria. Great.
2: Yeah. This is Armageddon it. A little play on words for you. Um, the uh, sixth U.S. single, released in November 1988, the B-side A song called Release Me, is hit number three on the Billboard Hot 100. You know, these songs performed really well overall. Jesus. I mean...
1: So again, like, to we're now through side one of this album. Every song a single, right? Yeah. So, and I mean that's that's rare. With you know, if albums have like four tracks, then maybe, but you rarely get like what more than three that are singles. We had we had six, six
2: for six. Yeah, this is a, this one uh, Armageddon flows nicely from uh, from uh, Pour Some Sugar on Me. You got a little you know kind of an up tempo track. Uh, it's got a cool one-two punch to end side one, and uh, so if you were listening on cassette or uh, on vinyl, you would, uh, you would listen to this and uh, have to flip it over at the end, but uh, I don't know, when, when I was young and I had the tape, I rarely flipped it over, which is a shame because uh, there's some serious goodness on side two, well, and what do we kick off with, friend? We got this. I love the long intros yeah hallmark
1: uh of course we're getting gods a, of war. We're getting a little uh political here on the hysteria
2: yes gods of war uh, the underrated gem of this album in my opinion really 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 good song um yes with uh, political overtones which apparently made critics scoff at the time i don't have a source but uh that is apparently the case in an interview with q magazine in 1988 joe elliott said i can write gods of war oh yeah another heavy metal holocaust song <laughs> People won't look past the end of their noses They think we're all spinal tap or bad news Nobody will pick up the details of Gods of War Like they do a Morrissey song Jesus. Towards the end of the song you hear A recording of US President Ronald Reagan Addressing terrorists Telling them that they can run but can't hide
1: This is again This is now what 30 years ago right Jesus
2: Yeah. Uh, this is a 6 minute and 37 second Beauty of a song uh, this, The chorus of course used at the start of Rockets just uh back trap, back mouth. so uh, a little bit of uh synchronicity in this uh in this year album this is gods of war and that's a steve clark game.
1: love the big drum there oh yeah all right let's go to this one
2: there's big drums all over this album my god Together. don't shoot shoot <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: Beautiful. She's so dangerous. Yes! <laughs> this is the, the, the harmonized vocals. Like, Marathon. Uh, it's so good. Don't shoot shotgun. Uh, not a single. Fox in at four minutes and 27 seconds. Uh, I just call it a solid rock track. I like listening to it. Nothing wrong with it.
1: There's no information out there on it. Let's it's, be honest. It's
2: probably a highlight. On a lesser album, this is a highlight. Not <laughs> hysteria. is just another song.
3: Yeah.
2: Same thing. Run riot. Four minutes thirty nine seconds. Because I have nothing else to say. Uh, I say, just another solid rock track.
1: It it, it exists. Here we go. Yeah, bro.
2: All right, here we go. There we go. So track number uh, 10 here, Hysteria, the title track, uh, third U.S. single, released in January 1988, the B-side, a track called Ride Into the Sun. This hit number nine on the Billboard Hot 100 from the Wickeye. The extreme nature of producer Mutt Lang's recording methods is also examples in the chorus. Where the clean guitar chords are recorded one note at a time, Jesus. as the traditional method of strumming them. So they had to build a chord by recording each note separately. And my only question is why?
1: <laughs> hey man, this album—this album sold 25 million copies. Don't don't question
2: mutt. No, you can't question you can't question mutt Lang. Uh Though he did he did produce Adrenalize, I believe. <laughs> so I have a few questions. <laughs> Um, I think this is an amazing track. This, I mean, if I hadn't been kind of—I don't want to say tainted, but influenced by my early years of listening to Side One over and over—this might have been my favorite track.
1: I put this one in number three on this album for me. Oh
2: yeah.
1: I'm going Animal, Pour Some Sugar, and Hysteria.
2: Absolutely, this is my number two after Animal. Great song. And now the song I could do without. I'm going to play Excitable. Are you
1: excitable? Are you excitable? Alright, mutt.
2: Are you excitable? Right, Are you excited? <laughs> no, it does have a, <laughs> <That's> a...
3: <laughs>
2: It's just kind of a stupid track. Huh?
3: That's
2: excitable! Wow. What do you I'm, have to say
1: I am excited, for sure.
2: It's yeah. oh. <laughs> a little gimmicky, right? You got a little too many, too many gimmicks. It's kind
1: of, like, goofy. Like, you get through this album, and all of a sudden, it's like, let's show them how much fun we can have playing rock and roll.
2: I guess so. <laughs> Again, I wanted to be your hero with B-Side. That would have been real nice instead of exciting.
1: I mean, as long, you know, they were nice enough to um, put out Let's Get Rock, so there will. be Never be a song stupider than that one that they'll that they'll make. That is true. That's that a, is true. I just want to say that's a hideous song.
2: It absolutely is. Uh, again, uh, this is not a uh, a Def Leppard has always been and always will be awesome. Podcast no, is a hysteria is awesome. Uh, we wrap up the album with a song called "Love and Affection." I think it's a decent closer. Nothing too special, but it's it's fine. It ties it all together.
1: Uh, this album, by the way, uh, clocks in at 62 and a half minutes. Oh yeah. Uh, it is one of the longest ever issued on a single vinyl record.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This was a kind of a newer kind of thing to do is to jam pack your album full of music. Yeah. I mean, they had, they had three songs they clocked in. It's almost six minutes, well, six minutes or more. Oh. Hysteria was close to six minutes. It was 555, but, um, yeah, they really, they really went for broke on this one and, uh, you know, in an age now where, uh, well, maybe not now, but an, an age, in the, even in the 90s, where a 72-minute album was, like, the norm, you don't get a lot of long albums like this that are chock full of good stuff. So, uh, thumbs up to that. Uh, in terms of reviews, now, I found it hard to find a lot of reviews from the time. I did find two. Let me read you a, a couple here. Okay. Kurt Loder at Rolling Stone said in 1987, this album sounds terrific. Every track sparkles and burns. There is no filler. In terms of songwriting, which is the key to any future growth, the leopards, this is what he calls them, the leopards, <laughs> uh-huh. remain trapped within metal's, metal's tired, old, socio-sexual paradigm. It's not simply that women are portrayed as mere lifestyle accessories. What's most dismaying is that when the leopards attempt to communicate more subtle emotion, as in love and affection, or the title track, they inevitably fumble it. Ooh. So a little mixed review there. Um, Robert Criscall of The Village Voice gave this album a C, which, for him, not very good. Um, and he said, You know about the music, and if you don't think you'll like it, you won't. Impeccable pop metal of no discernible content. It will inspire active interest only in AOR programmers and the several million addicts of that genre. Huh. Um, more yeah, recently, all music gave it five stars. Of course. Uh, there's no word on what they think of hysteria over at Pitchfork, though.
1: <laughs> That's too bad. I would say they give it a solid 72 you think so? I don't know.
2: I'm, I'm thinking Pitchfork would be more like a
1: 3.5. Oh, that's right. Sorry, no, 7.2. I forgot they're out of 10. Uh, I right. guess they might. Yeah, they might. No, initially they would have thumbed their noses at it, but you know, they do those retro that's uh, right. reviews. And, uh, yeah.
2: Spoiler alert. I did do a search for Def Leppard on Pitchfork. Uh-huh. I found three articles on their whole website that mentioned Def Leppard. One is, I think two of them have to do with uh, h- indie rock rockers covering Dev Leopard, and the other one I couldn't tell you what it is.
1: Uh, spoiler alert: We're doing Thriller next week. I may have found a pitchfork t- and <laughs> pitchfork review. Oh my god! I
2: cannot wait. Uh, um, let's let's talk quickly before we wrap up. Yeah, because uh, we're we're getting a little we're running a little long here, folks. Oh no, we're in good shape. Um, Don't you worry. Okay, the, uh, the let's talk the tour. Okay, uh, the Hysteria World Tour was a two hundred and thirty-six date slog through Europe. Oh. The U.S. and Canada with a stop in Japan. Many dates were performed in the round with a 360 stage and fans seated all around the band. I have a clip here from Joe Elliott describing the in-the-round concept like this. Oh, here we go. Yeah.
0: As you can see, this is the Death Leopard in-the-round stage as seen by hundreds of thousands, hopefully millions of people on this hysteria tour. Um, briefly, how is it? We're set up right in the middle of the arena, right? So if you want to pan around, you'll see four sides of audience everywhere. Well, four sides of empty seats, hopefully filled with backsides by the time we go on. It takes about four hours to set it up because we have a very good crew. And uh, it takes about two and a half, three hours to strip down. This blows away playing at one end. Um, It's far more fun for us, for a start. Uh, As you can see, it's sort of like playing in four theatres all at once, so you get a sort of a a theatre atmosphere within an arena. Because when you set up at one end and the back row is 110 yards away, those poor kids can't see anything and we can't see them. And the kids down the front, they don't get pimped, but they well, they, they down the front for a purpose. They want to be as close to the band as possible, maybe. Um, but they don't get to see the stage. Um, the kids up in their nosebleeds, they do. And I think they actually get a better view. Um, I would sit up there if I was watching the show.
2: So there you have it, the in-the-round concept. Um, I, I, this is kind of rock and roll excess at its best. You've got the, the stage in the middle and the band ga- galloping around the stage with the drums were on a, a, a riser that would, that would rotate 360 degrees and uh, so they could entertain all the people. Of course, the tour, um, and I'll get into some of the details in a bit, but the tour, of course, did not uh, garner huge numbers right away, but as the album gained momentum, uh, they started selling out. Um, there were rumors of scores of female fans being herded onto the stage to partake in all kinds of shenanigans. Um, the band will deny it. Some people will say that there were actual passes given out to groupies, as they were known. Um, but no one can get a straight answer. Um, the tour began June 24th, 1987, in the Netherlands. The first leg wrapped up in Sheffield, England, on September 17th. The first North American leg began on October 1st. 1987 in Glen Falls, New York. Ho! Ho! The Wiki. The Wiki. What? The what? <laughs> the Wiki has gate numbers for this leg like, of the of the, uh, of the the tour with attendance and revenue. So you can go check that out. For example, their uh, December 18th show in Atlanta drew a sellout. 16,783 fans uh, for a gate of $282,538. My favorite
1: fact about this tour, I'm at setlist.fm. Yes, uh, where you can find amazing site where they show again set lists of yes. actual shows uh, in the 1987 portion of the tour. So the earlier stages. Yep. In the encore, fans were treated to covers of either "Travelin' Band" by Creedence Clearwater Revival <laughs> or "Good Golly Miss Molly" by Little Richard, or both. "Good Golly Miss Molly," can you imagine? <laughs>
2: I can't imagine. You know, <laughs> I, you, 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 the, the, the last chords of hysteria kind of fade out to the cheering fans, and then they launch into some little Richard.
1: I, I can't, you know what, while, uh, while I'm chatting here, let me just see what I can find on the YouTube, because...
2: All right, well, you, you look, it. and I, I got a few more facts here. Yep. Um, the second North American leg began on January 16th, 1988, in Richmond, Virginia, ended in San Juan, Puerto Rico on February 19th, so a, a quick a quick month. They went back to Europe, back then went to Japan, then came back to North America in May nineteen eighty eight, playing Exhibition Stadium in Toronto Woo-hoo! on June eleventh, and then the Winnipeg Arena on June seventeenth, nineteen eighty eight, just over thirty years ago.
1: Uh here we go. Let's see what this is. All right. Nothing so far. Let me just scrub. Come on. Come, Come on, baby. Come on, brother. What a time for the Wi-Fi to screw up on my uh, phone here. Oh. oh, this is disgusting. Well, what a professional podcast.
2: No, nothing. All right. So well, the beast, of the, this beast of a tour con- uh, concluded in Tacoma, Washington, October 17th, 1988. So they went uh, um, over a year on the road, 236 dates. Uh, this would be the last tour for guitarist Steve Clark, who died on January 8th, 1991. He had been on a six-month leave of absence from the band at the time. The Eye says his por- the post-mortem revealed the cause of death was accidental due to a compression of the brain stem, causing respiratory failure, and it was caused that was caused by a lethal mixture of alcohol and prescription drugs. Here you go. So RIP and peace to Steve Clark, one of the uh, great guitarists of the era and uh, the best guitarist that uh, Def Leppard ever had. Here you go. Apparently this is a
1: Little richer cover. Come on, Sounds, uh, Sounds like a drum consistent. solo. <laughs> <Come on>. Okay. <laughs> well, the crowd's into it.
2: Crowd's into it. Yes. I mean, come on.
1: Crowd participation always works.
2: It does. So uh, that was the uh, the tour portion of our. Uh... Of our uh, breakdown here of developers hysteria, uh, any final thoughts from you? Uh, from you? Oh, is that it? Is that are those? That's your your thoughts? That's on everything. That's the breakdown. Yeah. I'm, Do you I'm, have anything else to add on hysteria?
1: No, I'm a little nervous about it. next week. You did a lot of work. And I'm That's I'm okay. I'm responsible for next week, and I'm like, damn, like I've got stuff, but uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. I think you've I think you've set the bar high for this uh, for this endeavor. That's my I, comment. I apologize if I was if I was uh, one of your old teachers. A, I would be shocked that you did your homework, uh, <laughs> and I would give you a solid. I would give this an A. In fact, if I was grading you uh, on a one to five classic Mezzanine sleepover scale, I yes. would give you a five.
2: Oh, that's so nice of you. <laughs> yes. Um, do you have any final thoughts on Hysteria? Uh, not,
1: I mean, honestly, this is a solid album. Uh, uh, <laughs> shocker. Uh, yeah. I would I would personally give it, it's a five-star album, both commercially successful, uh, at the time, you know, uh, critically successful. These songs are great. If you're not into the genre, it's still, you know, classic, amazing good rock and roll uh yes. music i uh pour some sugar on me it's not my favorite song on the album but it gets me hyped every time yes that i hear it and uh i don't even know what else to say i what can you say about it it's a fucking monster album like it's unbelievable how big a deal it was and came out in 87 and was still going strong two years later amazing
2: oh yeah absolutely i agree 100 percent. you couldn't have said it any better uh, a tremendous album. I probably could have, but thank you. you, uh, you, you yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a five, a score of five on this. Oh,
1: that's so nice of you. Yes. All right.
2: Um, as you mentioned uh, a little earlier, uh, next week on episode two of Albums Are Dead, we are going to be breaking down Thriller. Can you believe <laughs> that someone could dig that thing out of a crate and review it? I Only don't... on Albums Are Dead do you get such such a such a uh, underground album. Oh, we're going deep,
1: everybody. We are going impossibly deep. Uh, I did manage to scrounge up a copy. I actually own it, unbelievably enough, sitting wow, here. that
2: must have costed you so much money.
1: Uh, and, and I spent it out of my own pocket, and I'm going to share with all of you. So uh, you're welcome in Talent. advance. And yes, next week we're going to be talking about Michael Jackson Sorrell in episode two. I guess I do it. Just pick a track to
2: yeah what just lead that? us out with whatever you want like, You know,
1: Watch this one because why there not
2: perfect hysteria to end off his, our, our episode on hysteria like we said next week on albums are dead we will be reviewing Thriller Michael Jackson's mega opus it's not really an opus mega hit album <laughs> it's not an opus it's like nine tracks long uh, um, I'm gonna uh, let's I guess we'll talk a little bit about a few
1: plugs here uh, some which may be working at the time you hear this some which will be forthcoming I believe uh, they
2: are all working as of right now
1: uh, we will be on iTunes albums are dead is what you're going to search for if you want to subscribe yes. to this I'm going to get it onto Google Podcasts, stitcher and I'm going to try for Spotify nice uh, so we will keep you up to speed as episodes are produced uh, if you want to Uh, Just go online and hear the episode. Go to Potomatic and search for Albums Are Dead. We're there. Go to uh, Mixcloud and search for
2: Albums Are Dead. We'll be there. You can also just go to AlbumsAreDead.com and get links to all those places. Uh, We're going to have them all there. Um, We're also on Facebook. Uh, I believe it's Facebook.com slash AlbumsAreDead and on Twitter at Twitter.com slash AlbumsAreDead where you can hit us up with any thoughts on Hysteria. Uh, anything you want to talk about Def Leppard related, you want to tell us anything we missed or got wrong on the podcast, we're open to any constructive criticism, open to chatting with anybody, Uh, hit us up, follow us, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a good ride. We're excited. We'll take
1: album suggestions if people want to hear something. We may not, you know, we may not actually do it, but feel free to tell us (laughs) what you'd like to review and uh, certainly uh, down the road, uh, if, you know, we both know people who love certain albums and certain bands and if we're talking about them we will likely invite them on as guests, but if you love an album and can provide some information other than it's the most bitching thing I ever heard, yes, uh, by all means, uh, they leave to us.
2: That's that's what we have to say about albums.
1: Yeah, yeah. For so, our
2: listeners, we need we need more uh, content.
1: Uh, so I guess that's it. Uh, that is it. Episode one in the books. History has been made here on Albums Are Dead.
2: Yeah, I, I thought you were going to stumble over the name there for a second. <laughs> uh, I am at megamix.com on Twitter.
1: And I am at Slip with Five Eyes on Twitter, and I guess we'll see you all in a week.
2: See you in a week. <laughs> Go!